0: Welcome to the Boneyard with Steve Robertson. As always, I am your good friend and host, Steve Robertson, here on the Maroon Friday edition of the yard. Hope you're wearing maroon today. Out there repping the brand. Isn't it wonderful that we live in a country that we can celebrate Maroon Friday as we choose? I think it's a good thing. I wish it would become a bigger thing again. I know we used to really emphasize that. You know, on Fridays, we wear maroon. I know we do during football season more times than not, but I wish we did all the time. I we really do. I think it's important to kind of show who we are and what we represent. I'm very, very proud to be a Mississippi State Bulldog. Hope that you guys are as well. Chances are you, you are proud or you wouldn't be listening to this show. You know, the, the reality of it is is that uh, there are a lot of things in life that bring us joy. And uh, for me, Mississippi State is certainly one of those. I mean, in many ways, my life is kind of intertwined with the success of Mississippi State. It's our business, but also, too, it's our passion. It's not just a job for us. I know that I speak for everybody over at jeanspage.com. It says that, uh, you know, hey, we're in it to win it. We hope Mississippi State always does well. A lot of other people share that same passion with us, and we're glad to call you comrades. It's an important time. It's got a big show today. We've got a little draft recap and preview. And then, of course, we'll uh, look at the Missouri Tigers and around the SEC in college baseball. Talk about a few other things, but uh, the reality of it is, is that uh, we're reaching kind of the slow part of the academic and athletic calendar. I know many of you, uh, many of you students out there, have already taken your finals, or you will take them this next week. We wish you the best of luck. I know that uh, one of my girls has already completed her finals, and the other will finish this week. And um, we're very fortunate, of course, that uh, you know my oldest daughter will graduate May 13th. I'm very very proud for her. Many of you are planning those same type of festivities, wish you the best, and congratulate to each of our graduates, congratulations to each of our graduates and their families. It is very much, you know, a family accomplishment, even though the students themselves does the majority of the work. I mean, you know what I'm talking about. Everybody's so financially invested in the advancements of their their students and their children's education. And so I understand what a big deal that it is. I know when I went to watch uh, Ani, my oldest graduate, from Williams Baptist University I know what a big deal it was for us really really big deal really really proud man and to be honest with you of, of all of my kids I was probably the, the worried most about him graduating not because he couldn't handle it academically just because of the fact that uh, you know once college baseball was no longer part of uh, his life you know I wondered you know really how motivated he would be so he'd probably be shocked to hear me say that but uh yeah I'm really grateful to get that in and then of course uh, now Audrey will graduate and I'll have two of the four officially off the payroll. Now I'm going to pay for that though because my uh, my third child my youngest daughter will go to, uh, to law school so she'll take a gap year in between there but um, you know pretty exciting times uh, for the family and so for those of you that have graduates of Mississippi State or pending graduates you know best of luck to you and, and in their job search and we hope that things go well for them and even if your children were not fortunate enough to attend Mississippi State, if they're earning their college degree, it's a ma- very, very major accomplishment. And uh, congratulations to them and the entire family. Stopped by Boulder Burger Company a couple days ago. Going to try to get in there on Sunday. Try to get in there on Sunday. We'll see how things go, but um, it's exciting. It's exciting to go to Boulder Burger Company these days. Uh, I love the place. I always have, even before they were a sponsor of the show. I really, really, really favored Bulldog Burger Company. I like the variety of the menu. That's the thing. I go there more times than not for a great restaurant-quality hamburger. Other times, I've got a hankering for something else. I like to eat fresh. You know, sometimes you just feel better. You know, your body just feels better. maybe you eat something fresh and maybe not quite so heavy. I love that BLT salad. I get it grilled. You may want it fried. I won't judge you either way. But uh, they're both spectacular. Go by and check them out today. Three great locations to serve you. University Drive here in Star Vegas. Of course, Gloucester Street there in Tupelo. And the new one, Lake Harbor Drive there in central Mississippi, the Richmond-Flowwood area. Go by and check them out. You'll be glad you did. Bulldog Burger Company, the place where people go to meet. M-E-A-T. All right, since we were together last, we have had the first round of the National Football League draft. You know, it's become such an event. I remember being a young person. And the draft took one day. You know, you sat down, you turned on the ESPN, and it was an all-day, all-day event, which was fun. I kind of like it this way too. You know, you don't have to commit the full day to it. But um, the first round, they've made such an event of this, and it's uh, it's good to see Charles Cross, who was the highest-rated offensive lineman in the history of the recruiting rankings, to sign with Mississippi State. And he comes to Mississippi State with a lot of expectations, comes to Mississippi State with uh, a lot of notoriety, and he performs. He meets and in some cases exceeds expectations. He is drafted with the ninth pick in the NFL draft by the Seattle Seahawks, a long way from Laurel, Mississippi. But uh, I don't think Charles is going to have any trouble getting back when he needs to get back. I mean, Charles is uh, an outstanding young man, too, from South Mississippi. And – He's always had this humbleness about him. He is a guy, too, that has never really acted with a sense of entitlement or anything like that. You you have some guys sometimes, too, that are superstars, and they're not approachable. And uh, that just has never been the case with Charles. And so it's good to see good people have good things happen for them. And and, uh, he and his family, of course, have been incredibly supportive of Mississippi State in their time uh, as a part of our family, and they will remain a part of our family forever. But Charles Cross comes in as an outstanding job for Mississippi State and uh, becomes the 15th Mississippi State Bulldog to be drafted in the first round. Fifteen. What's interesting, too, let me give you a little draft history, too. You know, uh, Charles Cross, the highest pick as an offensive lineman for Mississippi State. And we've had several. We've had a good run of offensive linemen here in the last decade or so. Uh, Charles, number one on that list. So, again, 15 first-rounders in the history of Mississippi State. Not a whole lot, but still a significant number. What's interesting, too, with Charles Cross's selection, Mississippi State has now had, some, had at least one player drafted in 13 consecutive drafts. That's pretty cool, too. There were times we just hoped the Bulldog would get drafted. Every year, it's become the expectation. I mean, think about this for, for a second. You'd have to go back – to when the current prospects were not even in school, not just high school, but in school, to find a draft that didn't feature a Mississippi State player. You know, we are doing a pretty good job of identifying, recruiting, and developing potential pro football players here at Mississippi State. Now, of course, the best year, first rounders, and probably one of the best drafts in our history was 2019. We had three first rounders that year. Jonathan Abram, Montez Sweat, Jeff Simmons. Uh, and speaking of Jeff Simmons, you may have saw his uh, his tweet last night as uh, he finds out the news that uh, former Starville High School and Ole Miss wide receiver A.J. Brown is on the move. It's a trade and sign deal as uh, A.J. Brown moves on to the Philadelphia Eagles to join Darius Slay, <laughs> as Darius Slay comes out and says, uh, you know, hey, welcome, A.J. Brown, but it's still Hell State. Love that. Uh, Before that, you'd have to go back to 2012, Fletcher Cox, of course, drafted by the, the Philadelphia Eagles in the first round. 2011, we had Derek Sherrod, then 96, Walt Harris, Eric Mould. So in the modern era, those are your first rounders. All those guys, too, highly recruited players. And so we go back and we talk about recruiting rankings. Do recruiting rankings matter? Well, yes, they do. They're only part of the equation. But obviously, the better players you sign, the better chances they have of advancing your program and then ultimately their personal goal, getting to the National Football League. So we're doing that with greater regularity. But we didn't have any other inter- players drafted last night. We didn't expect that to be the case. Um, you know, looking at a couple things, too. I'm a, I'm a Pittsburgh Steelers fan, and uh, Kenny Pickett from, from the University of Pitt. Is, uh, is selected as the only quarterback in the first round. And uh, people have asked me on the message board, Steve, what do you think? I'm happy about the pick. I mean, you know, we, we signed Mitch Trubinsky uh, from Chicago as a free agent, and um, that had me thinking that this year was just going to be a dead year. You know, I, I felt we needed to get a younger guy. Maybe Trubinsky can, can be the stopgap guy until Pickett's ready. But uh, Pickett's a guy that is very familiar with the facility. He's from the area. And I think it was really about a comfort level. Pittsburgh had to go out and get a quarterback, a young quarterback. And then you begin to think, okay, well, who's available? It's not a great quarterback draft. And the chances of Pittsburgh, you know, being able to wait to the second round to get a, a quality young quarterback, that I think that's pretty much nonexistent. A lot of people thought Matt Corral would go to the Steelers, that spot. A lot of people thought that, that uh, he or Malik uh, would be the first quarterbacks taken. Pickett ends up being the only quarterback taken. And, and I'll be honest with you, I am a little surprised. Uh, that somebody didn't take a chance on, on Matt Corral in the first round. And, uh, you know, listen, I was very critical of him as a as a young quarterback, and everybody has to mature a little bit. But uh, there's been no denying Matt Corral's arm talent. The guy's very, very talented. You know, his mobility uh, is something, too, in today's game of football that uh, is a real attribute to him. And so, yeah, yeah were well, there some issues out of high school and early in his career at Ole Miss? There absolutely were. But apparently, you know, that wasn't enough for him to overcome and i think it, he will go today there's no question about it but uh, a little surprised re- really surprised and i know some people are kind of taking some glee in that and um you know, anytime that we can kind of go to rebels is uh, is funny but uh you know not not at the expense of a young man you know it's, that's the way i look at it too it's like this is a guy too it's worked hard and um it, it, it there is some some humor i guess seeing the Ole Miss people melt but at the same time too you, you you wish the best for these young people especially once they have graduated and moved on from the rivalry you know uh, one of my favorite Ole Miss Rebels of all time he said Steve you have one with well, Mike Wallace <laughs> and Mike Wallace played uh, at, at, for Pittsburgh and helped us win a Super Bowl you know so yeah I was a big fan of his out of Opie Walker High School there had a, had a great career at Ole Miss and had a really good career in the National Football League and so I think in some respects we can kind of lay our arms down a little bit. Uh, but, yeah, we're going to beat our chest a little bit because we did have a first-round draft pick, and they didn't. But, uh, yeah, interesting, to say the least. But uh, looking to today, I suspect that we'll have one player drafted today and one tomorrow. Uh, Martin Emerson, you know, speaking with some of our coaches, you know, they have had some teams basically say, if, if he's there when we pick today, we're going to take him. Is he a second-rounder? Is he a third-rounder? You know, we'll see. But we do expect Martin Emerson to go today. A lot of people questioned him coming out last year. It was absolutely the right decision in my estimation. I think that this is a guy because of his speed, his skill set, and the fact that um, you know he has been coached by Darcell McBath. And I don't know that that is something that um, maybe our folks fully appreciate. Darcell was a, an elite college player and then hung around in National Football League for a while, ultimately moved to safety. But uh, Darcell, a very polished player and a very good coach, and one of the things that he said when he first got here is that he felt like Martin Emerson would be a National Football League draft pick. When Deshae Townsend had kind of moved through here, Deshae had said it's one of the things that, uh, that he looked for is guys to come in that had the potential to be NFL guys, not just guys that would be good college players, but to get guys that he felt could play in a National Football League. Now, I don't know that he delivered on that with, with us – and maybe it was too many years being in the National Football League. But then uh, Terrell Buckley gets here, and Terrell Buckley, I remember there was a time there, you know, when we, we lose D.J. James, we lose Greg Brooks, and it looked like we might lose Martin Emerson to Miami. And T. Buck gets on a plane and flies down there and basically closes the deal. We have a junior day that final weekend before signing day, and rather than Martin Emerson and his dad taking an official visit to another school, they were on the Mississippi State campus. They were here to say, you know what, this is what we're going to do. Martin came to state, played immediately, uh, had one interception against Southern Miss, didn't have a lot of picks in his college career, and a lot of that, too, is because he did his job. People knew to kind of avoid him. And I think Emmanuel Forbes, the start that he had with all the picks and the pick sixes, it's really a byproduct of the job that Martin Emerson did. Of course, Forbes had to do his job because of the fact that, uh, that Martin, in many respects, kind of shut down his side of the field. People said, well, let me, tie, let me try the young guy. And Mississippi State benefited. And so you basically have had two NFL corners out there the last couple of years. And uh, I think Forbes is a guy that will have a decision to make after this year. That guy's ridiculous. Absolutely ridiculous. And I remember uh, going back, first evaluating him. I was like, man, this guy's so so wiry and so skinny. And is he going to be able to do it? There were some other corners in the state of Mississippi I actually liked better. Then I went and watched him play in person. And I was like, you know what? If he can do this against the Shoba Central, he can do it against just about anybody in high school ranks. And if he can put on some weight, he can be a good college corner. And then he comes to Mississippi State out of Grenada. A lot of people are like, oh, Miss is going to flip him. They had the coaching change. A lot of chatter out there on the Ole Miss side. They were going to be able to get to him. They didn't. He's here and having tremendous experience. And I think Martin Emerson has helped Emmanuel Forbes really emerge in the national spotlight not just because of his leadership and, his, and being a great teammate, but because of the fact that I think Martin created opportunities for Forbes to showcase his skill. But I do think Martin goes today, and I'll be surprised if he doesn't. I don't mock draft, and, I, and that's probably one of the most inexact sciences of all time once you get the first round. But uh, good chance he goes today. Then there's Makai Polk. We expect Makai to go tomorrow. Really haven't heard a lot about upward mobility in the draft for him The production's there. There's no there's no doubt about that. The production's there. He has a freakish catch radius, he's a great route runner. He'll make somebody a good receiver. The issue is, is that the NFL game has gotten more and more vertical. Foot speed not really what you'd call one of his better attributes. He is he has good speed, but he is not a burner by any stretch. And so there are some people out there that are kind of hung up on the he was if I'm not mistaken, dead last. Are close to dead last on the power five and yards after the catch. Now, some of that is a product of the route tree in the Mike Leach system. You know, you don't really get him outside and you don't run a lot of fades with him. At times we did, but, you know, he runs a lot of curls. He runs a lot of outs and things like that. And so the route tree itself is not necessarily conducive to yards after the catch. And so some of that is a product of the system. And that's where these workouts I think are so important. You go out there and show people what you can do Really outside of the framework of your college offensive system, and so I do think he gets drafted. I do think it'll be late, though. I know there were some people when he first went in the draft who said, "Oh, he's going to be a second, third-round pick." Uh, that's never the feedback that I got. You know, maybe maybe you, we've talked to different people, but that's not the feedback that I got from people within the industry. A lot of people thought he was a day three guy, and that's what we should expect. Anybody else that is drafted at this point would be a real surprise. Probably going to be a three guy draft now. Brandon Ruiz, maybe he ends up being a seventh round pick. You know, he's hurt last year. If he'd played the full year, not only is Mississippi State's season better, but his NFL stock, I think, is better. I do think he will be a UFA guy and probably make a roster somewhere. You know, we'll see how things progress. But uh, Brandon Ruiz is a very, very talented kicker. And you begin to ask yourself, you know, if he had been 100% healthy last year, what does our season look like? And I think. Why are so many dogs suffering from health issues? Sometimes too, you know, as we always talk about, you know, it is what it is. I mean your record is what your record is. But it's impossible to ignore, you know, the special teams miscues we had last year. If you had Brandon Weeds, you probably win a couple extra games. Then all of a sudden you get a better bowl location. You know, and this is a team too that was in transition in many respects. I do expect us to have a good season this year. I know in many respects I may be in the minority. Uh, but I think eight and four is probably the over-under. Last year, I felt like it was seven and five. Is this team capable of winning nine regular season games? They absolutely are. Are they capable of winning seven? Yeah, you better. You better believe it. I think it comes down somewhere at eight. Of course, we'll have the summer months to kind of begin to preview that. But uh, I think this is a team that is going to take the next step. How big a step kind of remains to be seen. But when I look back in hindsight, you know, when we talk about you know, last year's uh, you know football schedule i think it's important to understand that uh you know how close we were even though sometimes things were really kind of herky jerky there was just so much that happened last year you know sometimes we didn't make a play sometimes we did and ultimately we won a ball game and so let's look back here at this schedule i think it's just it's interesting very quickly we won't spend a lot of time on this Of course, State ends the year seven and six. You begin the year at the time with the greatest comeback in school history. I remember that pick six that Will Rogers threw. We're thinking this thing is over. We battle back. We win the game. You know what? We could have easily lost the game. We didn't. We won it. You know, the next week, we looked a whole lot more like we expected. To look NC State comes in, and State wins the game 24-10, excuse me. And, and it's not even really indicative of how well State played. State really controlled this game from start to finish. We go up to Memphis, that debacle with the special teams there. You know, we had the, the play, you know, the punt return that uh, was miscalled. And, of course, State misses a field goal. You know, those are things you look at. I mean, we had a couple opportunities to put points on the board, and we don't. You kick a field goal at Memphis, you win, you say, but, Steve, it shouldn't have come down to that. It did. It did. We had the whole Martin Emerson thing where they say he he didn't touch it down. He did. But uh, despite all that, we should have won the game. LSU, we lose 28 25. And of course, that's late. You know, we make kind of the score maybe is not indicative of how much better LSU was that day. But again, you miss a field goal. We had a bad interception, missed a field goal. We go down and beat college, Texas A&M College Station. Missed a field goal there, too. That would have given us a little more breathing room. But, uh, you know, you gutted it out and won a game that I think I was the only person, perhaps in the country, in the media, to pick Mississippi State to win that game. Alabama, we got killed. There's no need in rehashing that. We go up there and destroy Vanderbilt, kind of the same thing. Kentucky comes in riding high. And for some reason, I don't know if it's Mark Stoops is such a nice guy. They're always a bit of a, a media darling. And every year is supposed to be the big year, you know. And every, every so often they'll break through and have a, a decent year, and maybe an above-average year. And times a really good year. They were supposed to be really good this year, and State handles them thirty-one seventeen. And I don't, I don't think there was ever really any question we were going to win this ball game. One things I remember too is Trevion Williams, who ended up being the number one defensive player in the state. He and his mom and his grandmom came up, and uh, from that point forward, Mississippi State had the momentum in this deal. Uh, we go to Arkansas, miss a couple field goals there, including the uh, one in the final seconds to tie the game. Auburn, of course, would go down there, which becomes the greatest comeback in school history. You had two of those in one year. I'd like to not set that record again. You know what I'm saying? It's like I yeah, really don't want to get down 25, 30 points again. And then we just dominate Tennessee State, 55 to 10. And uh, and lose the golden egg, but people forget. You know, it's like, oh well, you know, last year it ended on a bad note, and it did. You lose the egg, and and let's be honest. Let's be honest with ourselves. Ole Miss should have won the game. They should have. Ole Miss was better than us last year. I mean, I I think we can all admit that they were a better team than us last year. They they won't be this year, but they were last year. They should have. They were older. They were more experienced. You know, we had some issues, dropped some big passes. We didn't lose them by ten. But Ole Miss won the game, and give Matt Corral credit. Matt won the game. And then we got absolutely destroyed in Liberty Bowl. It was awful. But, you know, you go back beyond that. Beginning of the year last year, everybody's like, you know what? Man, we're going to have a tough time getting the bowl game. Even some of our own fans expected us to lose to Louisiana Tech. We nearly did. though all we'd lose to NC State. Even some of our fans picked us to lose to Memphis. You get through that stretch with a 2-1 record. You're like, well, there's no way we're going to win at AM. and There's no way we're going to win at Auburn. And we do. And then there's always these people that worry about the Kentucky game. We always dominate those guys in Kentucky, here. It's a little different up there. But, you know, how much better would our season have been if we'd been consistent in special teams? Of course, Mike Leach recognizes you've got a deficiency there. We make a change. Eric Milley's now coaching special teams. Uh, Matt Brock is now completely coaching linebackers. Safeties were a bit of an issue last year. Now Arnett's coaching the safeties. I expect our defense to be a lot better this year. You know, but in hindsight, you look back at our season, it's like, you know, how, how many games did we really lose that we were expected to win? Well, the Memphis game, obviously. That's one. You know, we hope to win the, the Ole Miss game, but uh, they were a better team than us last year. And I, you think, oh, we're at home. We've got to get them. You know, but when we're being objective about it. It's a much different deal. But, you, know, you expect to lose to Alabama. I mean, that, that's kind of a given. We'd hope to win it at Arkansas. But you give Sam Pittman a lot of credit. Those guys have played really well. And we've... Actually had a pretty good run against them the last decade, but um, it was kind of their Super Bowl. They went out there, they had some intensity, and they did a great job. You know, and um, you know, Michael Leach and, and crew will get them back at our place this year. We've Got to win that game. But hopefully, you have removed the concern about special teams play. And you, know, you go out and you get Massimo Biscardi. You go out and you get you get kickers, you get punters. I mean, we, we've addressed our deficiency. what We believe in that in that at that position group. You got new coaches, guys that are experienced. You go out and you get proven performers on the college level, you bring them in. Now a chance for them to compete in the SEC. And so that's what good coaching does. Good coaching overhauls personnel groups that are in bad shape. And that's that was the case last year. Field goal kicking cost us at least two games last year. There's no ifs, ands, and buts about it. So you address that this year, so maybe that's not the issue. Because sometimes it does boil down to a last-second kick. We've got to be able to make that. I mean, how many times did we trot out a kicker last year after Brandon Ruiz got hurt? How many times did we try somebody out there? And you guys feel, you know what? Hey, we're great. So outside of week two, after we got through NC State, how many times did you say, you know what? Oh yeah, we got it all he's got it easy. Just didn't happen that way. I mean, our field goal kicking was absolutely atrocious. And so again, a healthy Brandon Ruiz, I think it's a difference maker for this team. And uh, now that he has moved on, now Wendy Massimo Biscardi, and I had a chance to watch him practice the other day and speaking to one of our guys that watches him every day, said this guy has a repeatable delivery. You know, kind of like in baseball. He's like a machine out there. He just goes out there and he kicks it. Head down, boom. Step, step, kick, boom. We're done. And so watching the way that he operates, you know, there's not this level of anxiety you know, he doesn't walk out there and he's like, he's got to measure up, take a deep breath. He's just, he's like a machine. He just walks out there, kicks it through. And if he misses one, he goes right back, kicks the next one through. You know, the guy's very, very consistent. He wasn't a Lou a finalist for nothing. Uh, so again, I think we'll be a better team this year. And uh, again, we have plenty of time to talk about football once we get through college baseball. But uh, I think this draft is a good time for us to kind of take an inventory of kind of what we're losing and what we're bringing back. But uh, again, wish the absolute best for every Bulldog out there that has NFL aspirations that uh, are no longer a part of our program. And, again, I think the, anybody beyond uh, Emerson and Polk being drafted would be a bit of a surprise and be a very positive one. You know, obviously, we, we want the best for all of our guys. And for those of those guys that uh, you know, get UFA deals that are out there trying to make a squad, we wish them the best, too. There will be, be several of those that will pop up, too. But, um, again, you you look at our senior class, it wasn't a really big senior class. And then the guys that that are in the draft right now, the guys we're talking about, those guys were underclassmen that declared early. I mean, let that sink in for a second. I mean, usually you get to the end of a cycle. When you look historically at Mississippi State's draft prospects, it's usually been senior players. Now, of course, we had some guys come out early in 19. But my point being is that this was not – you know, a very star-studded or accomplished senior class. And that is in no way being critical of those guys. It's just the reality of it is, is that we didn't have, you know, a lot of ultra-talented seniors on the team last year. And, yes, we've lost you know, these very important underclassmen, but we're going to bring back some guys that I think that will be seniors and will be much more experienced. I mean, you think about the core of the group. I mean, Will Rogers and Woody Marks and Dylan Johnson and, Jaden Wall, those guys are going to be their third year in the program. And so, yes, we took a step forward last year. Now it's time for us to take a big step forward this year. I don't think we're going to be sweating out a ball game. And, listen, I listen for those of you on Gene's page that always uh, you come up with, you know, there's some people that, that uh, appear to love Ole Miss, morning love Mississippi State. It's, it's the constant comparison, and I get it. You know, listen, I don't want to spend – I mean, I love going to ball games. I do. I do. And I'd rather go to Liberty than stay home, obviously. But, yeah, this is a year that we ought to be able to contend for a Florida bowl game. I don't think there's any question. You know, we, we just went a couple of years ago down to the Outback Bowl. But, um, you know, we, we need to get into that, that top tier of bowl games this year. And I think we've got a chance to do it. I think we have the team to do it. And I don't think the schedule is um, – you know, you lose Vanderbilt and pick up Georgia. But outside of that, you know, I think when you begin to look about the games, a lot of your toss-up games are going to be here at Mississippi State. All right, let's jump into today's top 10 list, brought to you by Blair Chandler. That's at Blair.com, but C-L-O-S-E with Blair, B-L-A-I-R.com. Blair is my friend. He's your friend. He's your friend in the mortgage industry. A lot of people out there kind of competing for your business, but uh, you know Blair's a guy I, th- I think has earned your business. I think it's pretty safe to say that Blair is a guy that uh, that understands the ins and outs of the mortgage industry. He is a mortgage professional. 21 years in the industry, top 1% close ratio in the country. And a lot of that's because Blair knows how to go be an advocate for you with underwriting. He knows what they're looking for. So he structures your loan kind of, you know, based on his own experience and interaction with these underwriters and say, okay, this is what I know we can get approved. And so many of you out there are maybe living paycheck to paycheck. Maybe you've got some equity available in your home. Maybe you got overextended with credit card debt during during the quarantine. It's time to kind of reset things. Let's give you a higher quality of life. Let's go out there and refinance this and make life a little easier to live. Maybe you want to take a vacation. Maybe you want to take the kids to Disney. Maybe you want to go to the Bahamas, and I'm going to do that this summer. and I can't wait. You get out there and you have a good time. You you, you do some great things with your family. And sometimes, uh, you know, sometimes you got to borrow money to do it. And I'm not saying we should live above our means, but uh, when you have a chance to do something very, very special for your children, you know, it's worth it. It's what we, it's what we work for, right? Uh, so give Blair a chance to take care of you. His number is 601-500-2344. Again, 601-500-2344. Visit him at Blair.com And if you mention to him, whether it be by text or carrier pigeon or email, whatever, tell him that you heard about him on the boneyard. And you know what he's going to do? He's going to pay for your appraisal. A lot of fees associated with getting a mortgage done. And he's going to make that a little, little easier for you to handle. Whether you're looking to buy a home for the first time, maybe you're just beginning this process and you don't know where to start, Blair is an experienced mortgage professional that can hold your hand and kind of guide your way through it. Again, that's closedwithblair.com. Okay, so I listen to you guys when it comes to the top ten list. You, you may not think that I do. I may not always act immediately, but I listen. And so I have a very, very skilled and very, very, shall we say, knowledgeable country music counselor. I guess you'd call it the, the my country music expert. So I reached out, I said, "Hey, I hadn't done country in a while." And I've had some people say, "Hey, Steve, listen, I know you you love rock. I don't always listen to the top 10 because I'm not a rock guy." And so I skipped through it. And I I, I get it. I understand my feelings aren't hurt. Many of you love the top 10 list, and like I said, we have, you know, tens of thousands of people at times that enjoy these lists. But we're going we hadn't done country in a while. So I I dialed up the list. Roy keeps a list of your requests. And so I sent the list to my country music expert. and said, listen, I want to do country this Friday. You pick. I won't argue with you. I will listen to the songs. And after listening to the songs, and I know most of these because this guy's a, a country music superstar, I know all these songs, and I would have to agree with the order. So I think our country music expert nailed it. Now, you may disagree, but we're doing top 10 Toby Keith today. Guy very much a patriot. Guy loves America. Guy that uh, has a restaurant that will produce an an incredible chicken fried steak for you. That thing is as big as a plate. I've ate at Toby Keith's place. You should too. It's fabulous. I mean, it's like putting your feet under mama's table when you go up there. So here are your top 10 Toby Keith songs. And again, I want to get it right. So rather than me just kind of working my way through it and just kind of, oh, I'm kind of familiar with that one, I, I go to the experts. I reach out to people and say, hey, here's the deal. It's so the top ten Toby Keith. Number ten, American soldier. Right at the gate, you hear this and you think about, you know, the military families out there, and, and this allows me and affords me the opportunity too to thank our men and women, our servicemen and servicewomen around the world that are protecting our freedom. It's a life that I would never choose for myself. And so I'm so incredibly appreciative and have so much respect for our military families and not just our people in harm's way, but all the people back home that love them, that are sitting around praying every night and you know, hoping they get a phone call or an email or a FaceTime or something, just so they like know that everything is okay. It's a life that I would never have chosen for myself. And so for those of you that are in the armed forces thank you for your service to our great nation and if there are many times that we don't show the gratitude that you deserve and to your families who are worried sick about you all the time we love them and uh, i've recently had a chance to um uh, to meet one of our I won't mention names but um you know i'd read a story a while back about uh you know a couple of young ladies that that went to omaha to honor their dad on father's day and um uh, one of the, you know the lady I interviewed her husband is a, is a serviceman and uh, had a chance to meet the two of them at Duty Noble Field. And uh, as great as it was to meet him, I couldn't wait to shake the guy's hand. It's like you know he was gone when all this wonderful stuff was happening for us and it's just I was like, hey man, thanks for your service and welcome home. you know we, we forget sometimes that people go choose to, to, to live a life of military service for the betterment of their families but also to to protect ours. And so to all of you, thank you. And number ten's for you, American soldier. Uh, Number nine, God lover. That's a great one too. That's a tear jerking type song. That's a beer drinking song, right? If you know it, you know it. Go look it up. You'll, You'll like it. I dig it. And most of the Toby Keith stuff's kind of in your face. You know what I'm saying? It's like, yeah, here we are. We're tough. We're country. We're here to take over. This is a little different. Number eight, a little less talk. A little less talk. And, and immediately, I always think about the uh, Elvis Presley song, right? A little less conversation, a little less talk, a little more action. You know, again, this to me, this is a Toby Keith classic. Number seven, Made in America. And, and you know, there's sometimes, too, that, like, when I think of Toby Keith. I think he is kind of like John Cougar Mellencamp on steroids a little bit. You know what I'm saying? It's like he's from the homeland, the hard land of, of America. And he's singing songs about having pride and, In your hometown and pride in your country and things like that we we need more toby keith in the world number six as good as i once was and that's all of us right and it's like the older we get the better we were you know it's a very very clever song the writing's very good it's very popular it was everywhere for a while number six as good as i once was number five how do you like me now we play this at Duty Noble Field. You, know, you get a big strikeout, and it always seems to be so apropos when it's Preston Johnson doing it. When Preston Johnson's getting the, the punch out there, how do you like me now? And again, I think, again, this is a Toby Keith classic. You know, it's like, look at what I've done. You, you should think so little of me, and look at me today. Look at what I've accomplished. How do you like me now? Number four, I love this bar. I loved a lot of them back in the day. I'm retired from all that now. But again, these are those that just kind of tickle you right there in the heart, land heartstrings, man. Yeah, that's one thing, too. You get the regulars, you get the friends, you have a good time. It's wonderful. Number three, a song that I wasn't quite as familiar with. And so I don't know that I... if Like, if I had compiled this list, you know, independently, I don't know that I would have had this in a top ten. But it's a song called Whiskey Girl. And we've all known one, or two, or three, or four, or a bunch of them. Maybe you're familiar with the track. If you're not, go check it out. You know, I remember many girls that... Uh, you know, I drank over, you know, and, um, and then you meet another one. You know, it's funny how that works. Uh, number two, Should Have Been a Cowboy. That's a great song. I mean, it really is. Whether you wanted to be a cowboy or not, whether you like country music or not, Should Have Been a Cowboy is a great, great song. And there were a lot of people listen to that and say, you know what? That's probably what I should have done. And I'm a firm believer in chasing dreams. I'm a firm believer in being what you want to be in life. Uh, you'll never hear me tell everybody, "Oh, you shouldn't do that." You know, it's just, you know, I, some of the best, best mistakes I've made in life have brought me you know, some incredible fun and satisfaction. You know, it's like, hey, let's let's go take a chance and do something. You know, I've never really been one that tried to play it safe. You know, of course, when I got married and had small kids, you know, I had to do that. I had to, I had to play the role for a while. You know, and uh, yeah, I think one things too. I, I look back too. It's so much of uh, of my life and life is such a journey you know you know I, I really chased as much excitement as i could at a younger age sent me to rehab uh, got out and at that point i guess i was kind of scared of life a little bit you know it's like I, I gotta be careful out here i can't do this can't do that and you get married and you start having kids and i didn't want to fly anymore i didn't want to ride motorcycles things like that you know i just you know you, you begin to think about i need to be here to take care of them when well, i've gotten a little bit older you know and they're, they're a little more independent you know they're a little bit older and they you know many of them are aging out of the house. I've just got one left and I'll be an empty nester. You know, I'm kind of looking around thinking you know what in many respects, you know when I was in my 30s and 40s, my life became their life and that's what has to happen. You know you have to drive people around, you have to you know, go to ball games and that becomes the focus of your life. I mean, when 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 my my kids were much younger, you know Annie's baseball schedule and the girls' You know, dance, competition, schedule, that's what life revolved around. And then occasionally I could squeeze in a Mississippi State game. And so as you get a little bit older, you know, all of a sudden they start driving or whatever, and their interests change or they, you know, they become young adults. And all of a sudden you start thinking, well, what am I going to do with my life now? You know, it's like I lived and, lived and lived and lived and lived and lived high on the hog. And then all of a sudden I kind of lived in a support role for a while. So, you know, what are my dreams? What are the things that I want to do in life? And um, one of the things, and I will say this, and I, I don't mean this to come across arrogant or haughty in any way, I think one of the reasons that my children uh, have been such high achievers is because they have seen their parents continue to chase things and continue to have dreams and to invest their time and resources in doing things for themselves, whether it be writing books or running marathons or things like that. I, I think that my children have – I think that – that. Uh, we have patterned good behavior for them. And so I never wanted to be that guy to look back at life and say, you know what, I wish I had done this. I wish I'd have been a cowboy. If I wanted to be a cowboy, I'd be one. You know what, even at this advanced age, I guess I could always go out there and give it a shot, right? Uh, but no, I'm not going to. But my point being is that um, I think sometimes when, we get, when people get a little bit older and I think, oh, this guy's having a midlife crisis. Guys, this is who I've always been. I just didn't always have the hair. But uh, I think it's important too, as parents, that uh, we don't just sit around and feel like our life has ended because our children have left the home. I think there are things that we can do. I think we can kind of rediscover some of our interest. And you know, I've had some big dreams, and many of them have come true, and I'm not done dreaming. You know, and so, uh, and so, forgive me for the little uh, the platitudes there. But uh, that song kind of reminds me of that. You know, but number one. And I think this is a, an amazing one. I, I remember watching this when we had the Concert for America thing, you know, after 9-11, I guess it was. Maybe it was. And Toby Keith sings courtesy of the Red, White, and Blue. And when he sings that, I felt it in my soul. You know, it's like, here's what we're going to do, you know. And a lot of people are like, oh, well, Steve, you know, fighting's never good. Fighting sometimes is necessary. It is. I'm a person that lives in peace, but I'll tell you this. You bring the heat, I'm going to match it and then some. And that's what this kind of gets me so excited about. You know, I hear this song and I think about, I remember nine eleven as many of you do, and I don't think we should ever forget that. And, and here at the end of the day, no matter your political affiliations, no matter the conspiracy theories that you subscribe to, at the end of the day, our homeland was attacked. They didn't care where you went to church. They didn't care what your political leanings were. They didn't care what kind of music you listened to, what kind of uh, sports you liked. They didn't care if you knitted. They didn't care if you, if you, if you made your bed in the morning or not. They were pretty much indiscriminate. They attacked all of us. Now we divided ourselves, but for a while there, for the first time in my lifetime, we had a, a united America because we were all fearful. It's like, could this happen again to us? And so when they had that big concert, and uh, to me, that was kind of the shining moment. Toby Keys up there is like, you know what? You come up here and you attack us, you're not going to live to tell, tell that story. And, and so you may disagree, and that's perfectly okay. Uh, but when we have foreign interlopers attack us and our family and put our kids in harm's way, we have a responsibility to respond. Now, you can get on Facebook and post whatever you want. Let me tell you this. It doesn't matter who you voted for in times of war. At that point, we got to unite behind the flag. we got to unite behind each other, put our differences aside, and say, you know what, this is about us. And while we may disagree on so many other things, we all want to have a peaceful existence. And sometimes, sometimes that requires us to do some things to protect our families. So courtesy of the wet, right, and blue, that's number one. And uh, thank our country music consultant. We will be back and consulting with them in the future just because I want to get it right. I want to get it right. So here we are. Enjoy that, an American icon in many respects, Toby Keith. And if you're in the neighborhood, go by and have that. Trust me, go get that big old country fried steak, man. It'll change your life. I'm, I'm kind of thinking about one now. May have to run and get some somewhere else. Craving that country-fried steak. I remember when we were getting ready to go play in the Final Four, went ate at to Keith's place, and I was like, man, we need one of these closer to home. So there you go. If you have ideas for the top ten list, reach out and let us know. You can find me on all forms of social media, at Scout Steve R., and, of course, the keeper of the list, Roy Samonte, my friend. You can find Roy at Dogmatic67. That's dawgmatic 6 7 it's best to go directly to him because I get busy sometimes and I'll forget to forward the list to him. I do when I think about it. But go to Roy. He's very diligent with this. He told me gave me a couple things today people would send him, and uh, we'll try to get you on the list, and we'll try to get to you. And so enjoy the top ten list. Uh, and again, it's country today. Toby Keith. And uh, eager to get back to you guys on Monday too. Uh, Jason Green reached out and has an idea for an interesting top ten list on Monday. So maybe we'll get that done too then all right it's uh, time to preview Missouri before we do let me give you who I think is the prime shrimp player to watch this week primeshrimp.com that's your one stop shop for premium shrimp I love it I have loved everything they have sent me uh, you will too go to primeshrimp.com today use promo code Boneyard to save a few bucks on your order here's a deal All of us enjoy shrimp. Well, most of us do. I guess uh, everybody enjoys the delicacy of the sea. It's so difficult at times in North Mississippi or wherever you are to get quality shrimp. You can have it delivered directly to your door without any fuss, without the normal prep and cleanup required to have shrimp. You can go to the store and buy some. It may not be the quality you'll get from prime shrimp. I just about guarantee that. Four great flavors. I like the simply seasoned I think that works well in a salad. I do like the uh, the Alfredo, too. I think that is absolutely great over like a bed of noodles. You can just you know, warm up, uh, get a couple pots of water boiling, drop in that pouch of shrimp, drop in some noodles. Ten minutes later, boom. It's like we're in the French Quarter. The French Quarter Alfredo, really, really quality. Uh, visit Primeshrimp.com today. Use promo code bondyard as always. And uh, this is a Louisiana shrimping company that's been in business uh, since the 1940s. They know everything there is to know about shrimp, about sh- shipping shrimp, that's tough to say, about preparing shrimp and eating shrimp. Go with the experts. Go with the fine folks at Louisiana's PrimeShrimp.com. Brandon Smith has to be a great player for us this week. Uh, when I begin to think about setting the tone, I think moving Brandon to the weekend was absolutely the right thing to do. And let's take a quick look at what Brandon has done, you know, in his starts this year. I, I think that is what's really settled our rotation is Brandon Smith. Uh, and we've got some guys doing a great job. But Brandon Smith, ERA is now down to 3.77. Typically, if you can score five runs in an SEC game, you've got a good chance to win the game. And so what's happened in recent appearances with Brandon, we go back, he had four starts this year. He started against Memphis. Uh, we won that game ten to four. Boom. He started against UT Martin. We won that game thirteen two. He started against Auburn. Uh, he goes five innings in that ball game. We win the game seven to six. He starts against Ole Miss, and uh, he goes six innings, four hits, four runs. We actually uh, lose that ball game four to two, and uh, really, that goes back to that first inning error. Made the difference in the ball game. He goes 107 pitches in the game and really gives you that yeoman's type effort. But uh, you know, Brandon Smith gives us a chance to win. This is a series we absolutely have to win. We've said that for you know three weeks in a row now. We put our backs against the wall. I think Brandon can set the tone tonight against an offense from Missouri that is a little bit uh, challenged, shall we say. The weather up there is not really conducive to home runs. It's not a big home run hitting team. I think Brandon is a bad matchup for them and a good matchup for us. These games have been competitive. But, uh, I again, I think getting a win tonight with Brandon on the hill sets us up really well the rest of the weekend. Really, really well. Uh, we'll see how things go. So, there you go. Your prime shrimp player of the weekend to watch is Brandon Smith. So, let's preview the Missouri Tigers. This segment of the show brought to you by Campus Bookmart. I love Campus Bookmark, you will too. If you're unfamiliar, you need to familiarize yourself with the great Mississippi State merchandise they, they have to offer there. Uh, I love the staff there. They'll treat you like family when you show up. And it's not just because it's me. When I'm there, everybody comes in and it's like, hey, welcome in. How you doing? You know, there are a lot of places you go. You don't even get a quality greeting. You're going to get a quality greeting, you get quality service, quality price, merchandise. Uh, and if you can't make it to town, visit them on the World Wide Web at campusbookmart.net. And by being a loyal Boneyard listener, we'll give you a phrase that pays. That is BSR, which stands for Beautiful Steve Robertson. That gets you free shipping on all orders, over 50 bucks. Campus Bookmart. Check them out today. All right, Missouri Tigers. It's been a tough year. We suspected that it would be. Uh, but they have kind of, kind of lied in the reeds there. And kind of pulled off some wins maybe perhaps that we didn't expect them to but uh, they opened the year with a series win against nickel state they win those games three three to one those games are for the most part competitive once they got through the uh the first couple they absolutely destroyed nickels in a doubleheader uh, I guess a doubleheader. It's seven inning games on Friday and Saturday. But then they get a little deeper in their pitching staff. It's a little different. They lose the Sunday game, bounce back to win on Monday. So they open up three and one. They continue the Louisiana track there. They go to Southern. They beat the, the Jaguars 19 to eight. Then they go to UL Monroe for what was supposed to be a three-game set. They cancel the Saturday game. They Missouri wins the other two. So they open the season you know, with seven games there in Louisiana and drop just one uh tarlington state visited como back uh, the beginning of march missouri takes that series 3-0 gonzaga that's a team too a lot of people don't fully appreciate how good they have been last couple of years the zags go into como win 10-5 missouri is part of a uh an event out there in Phoenix, Arizona. They win both of those games, beat San Francisco, the Dines, and then beat the Arizona State Sun Devils. And that—that's probably you look back and say, you know what? Arizona State's a great program, has been. They haven't been as good as they historically have been in recent years, but to go in and, and win it—to—to to win a game like that in Phoenix, uh, pretty significant. They get the University of Saint Louis. They absolutely destroyed the Billikens, eighteen to four. And then we get into SEC play. And you're thinking, maybe Missouri is better than we expected. You know, they're 12-2 and two at this point. was like, hey, Missouri may upset somebody. It may be a real challenge. They go into Nashville against kind of an offensively challenged Vanderbilt lineup, and they get swept 15-2, 6-0, and 7-4. So now all of a sudden, you're 0-3 in the league. Did not play a midweek game, but then they hosted Arkansas in the first home SEC series of the year for them, Uh, The Razorbacks get them 7-5 on Friday. And Mizzou, with a 7-5 win on Saturday, and then they lose the game Sunday 6-4. Now, we know how good Arkansas can be, even on the road. Now, granted, it was colder weather back then, so the ball wasn't traveling as much. But all three of these games were competitive. And that's kind of been the case at Taylor Stadium this year. When you go to Missouri, you better bring a good effort. They beat Illinois in a midweek game, 11-7. Then they get Southeastern Illinois uh, university at Edwardsville or Edwards uh, 12-2. 10 run rule, those guys then you get back in the SEC play and you get South Carolina and South Carolina has been very much up and down this year we know this Missouri takes a series they lose game 1 4-1. they battle back to take the series 8-7 and 10-3 the Sunday game certainly went their way they get Kansas in a midweek game 14 to 6 they travel to Tennessee And these games, with the exception of Sunday, were not close. No shame in that. Tennessee has embarrassed a lot of people this year. 8-3, 11-4, and then 4-3 on Sunday. But give Missouri a lot of credit for hanging in there competing. They get Western Illinois in a midweek game 9-1. Then they host Kentucky. They lose game 1, 15 to 6, and they battle back 9, 4, 10, 6. These Sunday games, these are the, these game threes, these are the ones you look at and say, you know what, a lot of times that's to determine so much. Those Sunday games are so incredibly important, and they've been very good in them. They, lose, they beat Missouri State, excuse me, 6-5 in a midweek game a couple weeks ago, and then they travel down to Baton Rouge. They get swept, but again, every game competitive. Five, three, four, three in ten innings, and then eight the six. LSU walked it off last Friday. We, after we watched our game, we flipped over at Hobie's and watched that game, and uh, the Tigers figured out. But Missouri, not a lot to play for. Still playing really hard, and then this this past week on Tuesday they lose at Missouri State in Springfield, three to two. So they've lost four games in a row. But you look at these numbers, and outside of the Tennessee game, you know they have either played really well or they have lost kind of a nip and tuck affair and so when you look at the schedule and you say you know what steve you know it's it's missouri they're 22 and 16 and 5 and 13 in the league and and all that's true but they're 13 and 5 at home and all five of their sec wins have come at home we can ill afford to drop a game here now we have to win the series that's a given but we've got to go up there thinking about getting three if we get three All of a sudden, life kind of eases up on us, and then we're right back in the the regional projections. Right now, everybody has us kind of in the first four out or or that kind of stuff. Uh, And so we're working our way kind of back into that. That LSU series obviously was very detrimental to us. So we have a chance to kind of make that up. We say, well, you know, it's hard to sweep on the road, and it is. But we got to figure it out. And so it's uh, 6 p.m. tonight and then 2 p.m. tomorrow and then 2 p.m. on Sunday. Got to find a way to sweep this series. And, you know, if, if, we, if we do win it and don't sweep it, it will feel like an opportunity unfulfilled. And and I, I get it, how difficult it is to go on the road and win in this league. But where we are at the schedule, it's time for us to kind of get some separation. And I think we're playing pretty good baseball right now. I know Tuesday didn't go the way we wanted it to, but uh, we have won two SEC series in a row, and I think we feel pretty good about maybe the direction of the season. But um, to get – Two, I think it's just kind of the bare minimum. In order for us to start having a little breathing room and kind of pushing towards 14, potentially 15 wins, we got to get it done. If we're going to win 15 this year, it's probably going to include a three-game sweep of Missouri. We are better than Missouri, but if we go up there and don't play well, they're going to win a game, and they could win two. And if, if there's a team on our schedule, the the Chris Simonis uh, shouldn't really even have to say much about, it, it's this one. You know, we know last year we took these guys for granted. And people forget, you know, how competitive those games were. And, yes, they won the series. But um, I think there was only one time last year, I remember Tanner Allen not coming coming through, and one of those games happened against Missouri. You know, they were 15-36 and 36 last year in its entirety, and went 8-22 and a couple of those wins come against us. But you look back at last year, you know, we remember the fact how bad that Sunday game was. But, um, you know, those – those earlier two games were pretty difficult, too. You know, we won the Thursday game 5-4. We lose 7-6 the Friday game, and then we got absolutely shelled in game three, 16-8. We're all thinking it's a three-game sweep. We're going to be tied for the SEC lead, and we dropped two. And at that point, removed any possibility of us winning the SEC. Of course, we ended up uh, finishing what tied for second with Tennessee, but the reality of it is, is that we didn't play good baseball. We didn't take these guys seriously. And so that's got to be the case. So let's look inside the numbers here. Uh, we will look at the overall numbers, and then we'll kind of look at some SEC stuff too. Uh, I think it's important to look and see how things have gone. You, you know the numbers. You see the scores, and you understand this is a team that's well-coached. But when you look at the statistics, you begin to ask yourself, how are they keeping games close? These Again, these are overall numbers. Toward Montgomery – this is their guy. He had a two-run bomb uh, Tuesday against Missouri State. That was really one of the only offensive highlights. And, of course, they lose at ballgame 3-2. But Tor Montgomery is hitting 336. He has four home runs, 34 ribbies. Uh, he's a guy that doesn't, you know, he doesn't strike out a whole lot, just 25 Ks on the year, uh, which is among the lowest on the team. Got five sacrifice flies as well. This is a guy for playing, playing a good team game here. Uh, Josh Day is hitting 320 for them, six home runs, which is second on the team, 24 RBIs. Uh, the leader in home runs is a guy named Luke Mann. He's 248 on the year, 10 dingers, 29 RBIs. He has walked 21 times, and this is a team, too, that gets hit by the pitch, too. They have a ton of them, 62 hit by pitches. And if you don't think that's coach, you're kidding yourself. But he has 42 strikeouts this year. Forty-two, which leads the team, and you expect that, you know, with you know with guys that had the big looping swing there. But uh, it's interesting, all these hit by pitches, and we've got to be careful with that because they're looking for free abs, they're looking for free bases. Uh, Fox Liam or Loom, I'm not exactly sure how he pronounces it. We're gonna go with Loom, I guess. L e u m, hitting three o nine, uh, has started twenty four games for them, kind of a part time starter. Uh, twenty five hits, three doubles. Uh, five home runs. But uh, as a team, you look at this and say, you know what, they're not a big power team. And a lot of it's because of where they play and the weather in which they play in. But 38 dingers as a team, they've allowed 51. And 10 of those home runs from one guy, Luke, Luke Mann. So you, maybe you pitch around him. you got to be careful up there for sure. Uh, Nander DeSantis is a guy, too, with a great baseball name, too, hitting 309. Got a couple dingers, 20 RBIs, but he's another guy that finds a way to get on base. And uh, you look at their on-base percentage, you know, it's, it's pretty competitive. You know, pretty competitive. You know, 383. Now, what's interesting, too, these guys run their bases. They've attempted 58 stolen bases. They've been successful in 50. Okay, so we have a decent on-base percentage. We are getting hit by the pitch. And then we steal the bases and you begin to see this is what we're doing here. We're not an ultra talented team. We're going to try to manufacture runs. We're going to move runners. Uh, Ross Lovitch, number seven for them, is hitting just 259. But he's a guy too. He's got 12 walks and he's 11 of 12 in stolen bases, which leads the team. But this is a lineup that runs up and down the order. You know, it's like you look at us and we've only got a couple guys uh, guys all nine of their guys have successfully stolen bases and there's nobody you look at and say hey this guy is, uh, is is a problem for us he's a guy that can't really run the bases but everybody up there and i just you know looking at their regulars montgomery is four for four day is seven for nine uh liam is two for two Desate is three for four austin three for four wilms seven for eight, Lovich 11 of 12, Luke Manns, five for five, Morris is two for two, and is three for five. They've even got three guys that aren't regulars that are one for one apiece. And so as a team, that is something that is going to have to be a big part of things. Logan Tanner is going to have to do a really good job holding runners, and our pitchers are going to have to keep them close to give Logan a chance to throw them out. This is a team that looks to run the bases. They do some hit-run stuff, but by and large, they just try to steal it outright. we got to make sure we're on top of that. It's a big, big part of things. And when I start looking at these numbers early in the week, I start thinking, well, where does this come from? Well, it's part of the, you know, the Beezer system. It's like, hey, we're going to grind you out. We're going to get guys on base. We're going to get in a scoring position. We're going to stay out of the double play. Guys, they have grounded into just 13 double plays this year. 13. That's remarkable. And, again, it's because of how they utilize runners. They stay out of those situations. They, it, it's a, it's it's pretty crazy to think about, you know, when you, know, when you have a team here that, that is kind of struggling to score runs, and their pitching numbers are not outstanding. But this is a this is a difficult team. You said, but Steve, are twenty two and sixteen? I get it, but I'm impressed at the fact when you look at this, and you begin to wonder, okay, well, as a team, they hit two eighty one, which is not bad. But when you get a little bit deeper in the numbers here, you realize they're not scoring a ton of runs. They're hanging in there and they're competing. They're grinding you out. It's not going to be a traditional baseball game. I mean, we're going to have to compete in all facets of the game. But, you know, when you look at this order. I mean, they got five guys hitting 300 or better. They do. Not huge power numbers, but they'll move you around. And so we're going to have to do a good job there. We're going to, have to play well defensively. And, again, I think Logan Tanner, I think Logan is probably a guy on the, on the defense you look at and say this is where the pressure kind of shifts. I don't know that we have faced a team that is quite as um, aggressive on the base pass as these guys. And, again, how do you stay out of a double play? You could have got a second. And it's not like they're sack bunting those guys along. You only got six, sacks bun- six sack bunts the entire year. They're just out there trying to grind you out and get one. Get one, get one, get one. All right, let's look at the uh, the numbers here on the pitching side of things. And, again, you look at this, and you look at those scores from last week against LSU, and you begin to wonder, okay, well, wh- wh- where is it coming from? You know, they're getting good starting pitching. Now, the bullpen's quite an adventure, but starting pitching's been very good for them. Uh, Tony Newback's a guy that we'll see, 3-1 and one record on the year, 4.46 ERA. He's got five starts, uh, 40 and one-thirds of an innings pitch. He's less than a hit per inning just 33 allowed 20 iron runs this year. He's two for one strikeout to walk 43 and 20 uh, has allowed nine home runs, which is a staff high, but opponents are only hitting two thirteen against him. And so you see a guy that's, that's not getting a, a ton of punch outs. I mean, he's competitive. He's just over an inning per, but he's making you hit his pitch. And they're average defensively, but he is making you beat the ball on the ground. And uh, when, you know, I look at the guy too, I mean, You know, three hit by pitches on the year, two wild pitches. And so, he's going to be around the plate. we got to be disciplined or it's going to be one of those ball games where we're sitting there, you know, beating the ball on the ground all night long and hoping for them to make a mistake. It's just not going to happen. And, again, he's not a guy that walks a whole lot. Uh, Spencer Miles is a guy that uh, high hopes for this guy, but uh, he has probably been a little bit underwhelming this year. Two and four records, 6.50 ERA. Uh, Nine starts on the year. Has 45 and two-thirds of an innings pitch, which leads the staff. He is a guy that you can hit. He is a guy, too, that'll strike you out a little bit, but uh, not going to give you a whole lot. But he's allowed 60 hits on the year. Opponents are hitting 323 against him, allowed 33 earned runs. Uh, almost, almost 3 to 1 perfect with 41 16 here. Almost. And so uh, he's a guy, too, that will give up the extra base hit 11 doubles this year, which is the most on the squad, Then eight home runs, which is second. But, um, you know, not a guy at this point that, um, that I think they can really count on. But we've got to get fat against this guy. We absolutely do. And, again, he has not been great. Uh, you get a little bit deeper into the, the schedule here and you start looking at these starts. Uh, Austin Marazas is the guy that's got eight starts on the year. Austin Trosser has uh, six starts on the year. And he's been really good. You know, Trosser's 3-1 record with a 2.39 ERA. And, again, he's allowing less than a hit per – and uh, just seven earned runs on the year. 20 Ks, 13 walks, opponents hitting 208 against him. Uh, you look at Marazas, you know, he has got eight starts. He is one and two with a 6.82 ERA, 33 innings pitch, which, again, you, you have pretty nice workload there for him. But he's given up over a hit per inning. Also, a guy that you're able to hit at 273. And so you look at those overall numbers and you look at it and say, okay, guys have been decent. Let's look at SEC play. This is where I think that um, you can kind of see you know, where things have gone, kind of what we're looking at here, how you feel about um, what we're seeing against comparable competition. SEC numbers have actually been worse than you'd expect them to be. They put a pretty light non-conference schedule. Uh, we talked about Fox, Loom, Liam, 375, leading them in SEC play. Uh, looking at his numbers here, he has uh, three home runs. And 10 Rubies in SEC play. Tor Montgomery's down to about 308. So there's two guys in SEC play hitting above three hundred. Uh, our buddy Luke Mann, you talk about feast or famine, hitting a buck ninety-one in SEC play, but eight of his ten home runs have come against SEC pitching. And that's fifteen RBIs. I guess getting it done. But let's look at these um, the pitching numbers. And that's that's kind of what that's where we are, right? So Tarney Newbeck in SEC play, five starts. One and a record, four point nine nine ERA. Austin Morosis, one and two records, six starts in the SEC, seven point three nine, and then Spencer Miles, ERA of eight point six two with an 0-4 record. So starting pitching has not been great as far as getting the decision. But when you begin to look at how competitive this thing has been, that they've been able to kind of keep you in the ballgame. A guy that got us last year was Jacob Cush, and he has not been good. He's only had one SEC appearance. I can only assume Uh, that he has been injured. I haven't kind of looked that deep into it. But uh, Austin Cheely has been kind of their reliever of choice here Uh, as far as mid-relief. He was the guy, kind of the setup guy on Tuesday and handed the lead over to uh, Ian Los, who is 2.08 ERA and a 1-0 record. And I don't know if that's accurate. I guess it is accurate because that was a non-conference game. But he took the loss. Uh, on Tuesday. So he's already pitched one time this week. You'd think he'd be available for the weekend. But seven appearances this year uh, working basically in one inning stints. But he has allowed just two hits in SEC play. Opponents are hitting a cool crisp .074. So there we go. So opponents are hitting 280 against them in SEC play. They're hitting two forty nine. You know, power numbers. You look at home runs. Uh, they have hit 32 and allow just 17. That number just jumps out to me. We have been a team that has been very reliant on the home run, and now we're going to play a team in a ballpark that doesn't allow a whole lot of home runs. And so we're going to have to string some things together. The, the series scares me to death, not just because of what's at stake, it's because of the fact that, you know, these are some guys here, number one, they're not going to walk you a whole lot, but in SEC play, they've walked you a little more than they have in non-conference play. So if we go up there and work some counts and grind out some counts and get guys on base, we got to get them around. They've walked 80 as a staff in SEC play and struck out 140. So they're less than two, two for one here. But when I look at these numbers, it looks like to me, you know, they're giving up some hits, but then they kind of knuckle up defensively. And we have not done a good job of getting like three hits in an inning. And so, yeah, this is going to be one of those hold-on-to-your-butt type weekends because not only because of, you know, we need these three wins, but this is a team that just kind of grinds you out on both sides of the ball. You know, What are we going to do? How are we going to show up and perform? And you look at these numbers and you say, you know what, man, these ERAs are ridiculous. But then you look at the scores and you begin to ask yourself, well, where, where is it all coming from? You say, well, they've, they've allowed a bunch of earned runs and they really haven't. In SEC play, they've only allowed – Ten earned runs. They've given up 125 runs, and 115 of those are earned. You know, maybe it's just me, but I'm nervous. I'm nervous about the weekend. I'm optimistic that we'll win the series, but um, you know, we're looking at bigger and better things, right? We're looking at opportunity to go out there and uh, and win, and get back and kind of remove some doubt about where we're going to be when it comes to um, SEC play. You know, we've got to get back in the mix here. We've got to make up for some things that we've missed out on. Now, defensively, 981 and their opponents are 983. This is SEC play, right? We're just talking about what they've done you know against SEC play. Uh, so not a ton of errors there. Nander DeSantis has made five, which is the, uh, the team high in SEC play. They have committed 12 errors in SEC play. Their opponents have committed 11. So it's not like they're giving games away. So, again, this is a very interesting team. It's like it would be so easy to look at it and say, oh, you know, Steve, they've only won five games. They're the last-place team in the SEC. Well, when I hear that, when I think last-place team of the SEC, I expect to see blowouts. I expect to see, you know, pitchers that uh, can't get people out. And I look at some of these numbers, and I I begin to realize here that, um, you know, Beezer Ball is a difficult undertaking, and, you, you know, you say, well, they, they beat Kentucky, and Kentucky isn't that great. They won a game against Arkansas. And they competed and nearly won a game against Tennessee. And so if we think we're just going to show up and win three, we're kidding ourselves. We are absolutely kidding ourselves. But if we are the team that we think we are, and we are the team we expect to be, we got to go up there and, at the very least, have a winning weekend. And we got to grind it out. And uh, Jake Gotro, I think, in many respects – You know, the job that he has to do this weekend, you know, to keep us from, you know, swinging over the top of things. And uh, usually when I see, you know, guys like this that uh, don't have a bunch of punch outs and then the batting average against them is reasonable, that tells me we're going to see a lot of sliders. We're going to see a lot of breaking stuff. They're going to get us to try to get over the top and get under barrels. So we got to do a good job of identifying that. There have been a lot of teams that have been kind of pitching us soft, too. There are a lot of teams that have been starting us the first pitch breaking balls. And we have this mantra, you know, we're going to go out there and hunt the fastball. But when these guys are starting us with breaking balls, a lot of times we're already down, you know, 0-1. The most important pitch in all baseball is strike one, right? And so we've got to probably make an adjustment there. Maybe we go up there and sit soft. Okay, we're going to go up there and look for a change early in the count be aggressive. Now these are guys that don't pitch deeper in the ball games, and so we've got to find a way to get them on their heels and get some runs early. And that's the thing that I think about. We have got to find a way, uh, you know, we've got to find a way to get a good start in this ball game, and then we've got to, you know, prevent them from getting those free and extra bases. And so I, I think that's where it is. And again, I'm nervous about the series. I'm just going to lay it out there. It would be so easy to say, "Oh, it's the last place team." Well, We had that line of thought last year and got absolutely embarrassed. And we won an NFL championship. I mean, think about that for a second. If you're on the other side of things, if you're Beezer and say, hey, these guys won an NFL championship last year and we should have swept them. You know, we took two out of three in their home ballpark and really had that emphatic win in game three, 16-8. Guys, you should have swept these guys last year. Now we got them in our ballpark. They're going to be confident when we get there because they're going to feel like they have kind of the recipe for success against Mississippi State. So we got to flip the script a little bit. I think we change it up a little bit. Maybe we go after some of these first pitch-breaking balls. And we go after some of this first pitch off-speed stuff. Maybe we don't go up there looking for the fastball. And maybe the second time through, they're thinking, oh, they've adjusted. Let's challenge with the fastball. Because, you know, it's all a chess game. And I think Brad Cumbus is a guy that is absolutely murdering the baseball. I had somebody tell me that that, that first line out he had in game one of, of against Ole Miss on Tuesday, excuse me, in the, in the governor's game, 112 miles per hour in that big ballpark. Uh, so we're going to have to get out there and play well and uh, put some balls in play. I don't think there's any question about that. So – Again, I expect us to win a series. I don't think it's going to be for the meek at heart. I think it is going to be a very, very challenging series for Mississippi State. All right, final segment of the show. Let's look around the SEC. This segment brought to you by the fine folks at Portico. I've told you guys before, if I was moving to Starkville now, I would move to Portico. Portico is a great residential development just on the outskirts of the Mississippi State campus, just 1.1 miles away from all things maroon. You've always wanted to have a place in Starkville. Now's the time. Give our friend Brooks Bryan, you know Brooks Bryan, former Diamond Dog, give him a call, 601-416-8075, 601-416-8075. He's your point guy here, right? You need information. Say, you know what, I've always thought about moving back to Starkville, or maybe I want to have a retirement home in Starkville, or perhaps a second home that maybe transitions into a retirement home someday. Maybe it's an investment property. Uh, The reality of it is is Brooks can answer all your questions. Uh, Portico, the newest in construction, very, very conveniently located a campus, easy to get to. You turn off of 82 on a 12. The very first ride is Pat Station Road, and boom, there you are, your new home. And you already got a bunch of neighbors there already living a high life. Phase one, completely sold out. Phase two, under construction now. You can have some say in that. You can pick out your lots. You can pick out your house plans. You can say, you know what, hey, this is what we've always wanted. We've always wanted to be back in Starkville. Maybe that's the dream, to be able to be there uh, for all the sporting events. And maybe it's a place, too, you think, you know what? Hey, my kids are beginning to scatter a little bit, but they always come home for the ball games. What if we had a place in Starkville that kind of became kind of our family retreat that everybody can go and use that home and come enjoy the ball games together as a family? I think it's a wonderful idea. Be sure and check them out today. And again, make Portico your next move. All right. You know, we had a couple of SEC baseball series get underway last night. And, uh, I didn't get a chance to watch it, uh, the kids, in the school musical, so I went and watched that and uh, enjoyed that and uh, tried to keep up with the draft on the phone, which I know is probably a little bit rude. But uh, when he wasn't on stage, I peeked at the draft. All right, so South Carolina, a big win for the Gamecocks as they beat Alabama 6-5. Carolina jumped out to pretty good lead there. Alabama battles back and ties it, and then South Carolina finds a way to win the ballgame there. A&M goes to Vanderbilt, wins that game 5-1. to uh, that AM series now, uh, it, to me, that even adds more importance to this evening, right, this weekend for us. AM is getting better. We knew that they would probably be a better team than they were a year ago. They're better. Now, I don't think Vanderbilt is, uh, is a very good measuring stick. I, again, I, I've told you guys from the beginning of the year, I think this Vanderbilt team was incredibly overrated. And some could say the same about Mississippi State. But uh, Vanderbilt, really, really not what Vanderbilt has been uh, and I think in many respects, people say, well, Vanderbilt will be back. I think a lot of people are kind of figuring some things out about Vandy. Maybe I'm kidding myself, but uh, I think a will take this series. So let's look at what else is available. Kentucky will be at Florida. Man, it'd be great if Kentucky could take a game or two from Florida. And, uh, you know, Hunter Barco out indefinitely. And I haven't heard if they're going to try to give him an opportunity this weekend or not. Uh, Florida really beginning to fade, really beginning to fade. Would really help us if Kentucky can win the series. I don't expect it. I don't know that Kentucky's got the juice to do it, but Kentucky will be at Florida. Florida probably wins the series. I'm going to pick Florida to win it two games to one. Auburn is at Tennessee. You know, we have beaten Auburn two out of three. I would love for Auburn to find a way to win a game or two here just because it helps us in the RPI. Uh, But also, too, you know (laughs) – we're going to get a chance to play Tennessee, too. but uh, So, in, in any way, it kind of works either way. But uh, you'd like to have the team that you win have the higher RPI. But uh, I don't know that we have a chance to beat Tennessee. But Tennessee playing exceptionally well. A&M back at Vanderbilt. I think with A&M taking game one, i got to take Vanderbilt uh, to lose the series. I think A&M will win this series at Vandy, which really puts them in a great position. A&M ranked for the first time in a long time. And, again, pitching really well. They pitched it great last night. Look at the numbers. You can see it. Alabama at South Carolina. I I like Alabama to challenge back today. And and we need – we don't play South Carolina, so we need Alabama to really take the series. Again, it helps the RPI. We don't – I know we're chasing those guys, but at the same time, too, it's like if if we're not going to catch them – and we can catch Alabama, but it's kind of like one of two things. It's kind of like if we're not going to catch them, we want their RPI to be as good as it possibly can be. Uh, Of course, Mississippi State opens at Mizzou, Georgia at LSU – that is a very intriguing series to me. LSU playing pretty well, pitching it pretty well. Georgia finally gets uh, Cannon back. It's so tough to win at Alex Box, though. It's just so tough. And Georgia has good pitching, but LSU is so good in their own ballpark. I'm going to pick LSU two games to one, but I think of all the series this weekend, I think this could probably be the most entertaining. And then Ole Misses at Arkansas. Uh I like Arkansas. <laughs> I really do. And I think they're going to win this series. And they could sweep it. I mean, when you look at, number one, Arkansas, number one, is a good team. They're playing at home. They are angry after losing the series last weekend. Ole Miss, very, very vulnerable. Now, can Delucha go out there and replicate what he did against Mississippi State? Maybe he can. Maybe he can. You're going to be facing one of the better hitting coaches in the country, <laughs> up there, Arkansas. But I think the reality of it is is that uh, I think Ole Miss's season really kind of weighs in the balance here. I, th- I think we all kind of see where this thing is trending. And I don't think you can expect Ole Miss to win this series. Now, Arkansas pitching last weekend was just okay. And they lose the series down at College Station. But it wasn't like Arkansas went out there and just kind of laid an egg. I mean, it, you didn't have a situation, I guess, in many respects, where you had a pitcher's duel. But, um, you know, looking back at these numbers here for AM. and – uh, you get beat on Friday in a pitcher's duel 2-1, and then A&M wins, uh, Arkansas wins game two, and then you, you turn into an game on Sunday. So I guess my memory of that wasn't quite as sharp. But uh, even in losses, you know, Arkansas pitching's been pretty good. Connor Nolan's been exceptional. And so I look at so many of these things in this series, and it's not just, you know, your heart talking. You know what I'm saying? It's like you look at this deal and you realize – These two teams are trending in two different directions. Both lost the series last week. Arkansas, a better team. Arkansas leading the West, and now it's kind of in a dogfight now with Auburn. Auburn just a game back. A&M just two games back. So this is a motivated team. On the Ole Miss side of things, their pitching is atrocious. Absolutely atrocious. And so A&M is going to grind you out. They're going to foul balls off. They're going to run the pitch count up. They're going to get into your bullpen. And we saw what happened. And so, in order, I think, for Ole Miss just to simply win a game, they need Delucia to go out there and play really well today and then maybe try to find a way to get that game to Brandon Johnson. But um, I think Arkansas can sweep this series, but I'm a little hesitant to say they will. I think Ole Miss maybe finds a way to grind one out. Uh but this could easily be a sweep. I mean, it really could. I'm going to pick it two games to one Arkansas, but I could see those guys. I could, especially if Ole Miss loses Friday and Saturday, I could see Sunday, them absolutely going in the tank. So let's take a quick look at this, at the standings and kind of see where things stand, who we might be able to chase. I told you guys early in the week state right now, currently the number nine seed in the SEC tournament. So some upward mobility opportunities for us, but also some opportunities for some some teams to catch us. And so, there is that glut of teams right there in that six and twelve era. You know, South Carolina wins last night, so they, they're now seven and twelve. But uh, you know, we're ahead of those teams. You know, we're a couple games ahead of Ole Miss, we're a couple games ahead of Kentucky and Florida, and a game ahead of or half, or half game ahead of uh, South Carolina. But um, when I look at who we could catch, okay, Vanderbilt loses last night; they're nine and ten. They were the eight seed. So if we could, if we win this series, and of course they lose to A and M, we would flip flop with Vanderbilt. But uh, running the numbers here, Tennessee, of course, seventeen and one. Georgia, eleven and seven. Vandy, nine and ten. South Carolina, seven and twelve. Florida, six and twelve. Kentucky, six and twelve. Missouri, five and thirteen. So the West continues to be you know, the more dominant division in college baseball in the SEC. Let's take a look at the West. Arkansas, twelve and six. Auburn, eleven and seven. Texas A&M now eleven and eight. LSU, ten and eight. Alabama, nine and ten. Mississippi State, eight and ten. Ole Miss, six and twelve. So. You look at this Alabama-South Carolina thing, Alabama's a game up on us on the win column. So, you know, we could catch them. We could. And then all of a sudden you catch them, you know, and you, and you catch Vanderbilt, all of a sudden you're creeping into the top half of the league. And it's, that's the thing, too, when you begin to think about these SEC wins. You know, the SEC generally gets nine teams in the, in the tournament, sometimes ten. I don't know that it's a great year in the league. I think there's a lot of parity in the league. I don't know there's a lot of great teams in the league. And so that helps us in some respects. I think we can climb the ladder a little bit. We're going to get some help around the league. But when you begin to start thinking about seeding this tournament, you know, we, we have to be, I believe, in the top half to feel comfortable. I think you've got to get to 14 wins, finish in the top half. I think at that point you can kind of feel like, okay, we're probably getting in. You get to 15, I think you're definitely getting in. Which, again, makes this weekend so important you got to find a way to go get it. And, again, there are so many series that are going to be splits around the league this year, this this weekend. You know, I, I think, you know, Tennessee has the possibility of sweeping. I think Arkansas does. And I guess theoretically everybody does. A&M, I could get Vandy. And wouldn't that be huge in many respects? You know, of course, we're trailing A&M. We've got to go play those guys. But, um, you know, it's still such a pile in the middle. We just got to go take care of ourselves. We're going to get some help around the league. I don't think there's any question. I think when you look at the numbers and you begin to think about, you know, who's out there and what, what everybody's got left to play. I mean, we've got four weekends left. We've got 12 SEC games left to play. And we've got to do no worse than 500. I think we can go six and six and make the tournament. When you when I begin to look at this Mississippi State schedule, you start, it's okay, well, where do the six wins come from? Well, obviously, if you get three this weekend, that makes life a lot easier. But let's say you get two. Let's say you get two, then you got to get four the final three weekends. Um, that's not going to be as easy as it sounds, because when I begin to look at this deal and start thinking, okay, all right, so let's say we get two this weekend, then we get Florida coming in. Well, you got to win that one. You got to win that one. Well, then that gets you two more. All right. Well, you got to find two somewhere else. You got to go to A and M, who is playing their best baseball of the year. And then you got Tennessee coming in. Can you split? Can you get a split in those two series? Well, if you can, I think you're in the dance. But that's kind of where we are. Is anybody at this point, are you expecting to win a game against Tennessee? And that's not necessarily an indictment of Mississippi State, but the way Tennessee is playing. I mean, you expect Tennessee to sweep every weekend. And this is an historic team. they a tremendous job there. So, no, I wouldn't expect that. So then, you know, that puts you in a situation basically where you have to win these next three series. You'd have to win Missouri, Florida, and A&M to get to 14. That's why sweeping at Mizzou this weekend would certainly make life so much better because then all of a sudden you think, okay, we sweep Mizzou. we got to get three somewhere. You feel confident about getting a couple against Florida, and then you can get a split at A&M. Well, you've already gotten your 14, and you're going in to, to Tennessee and just hoping to get one to get you 500. But if we lose this series this weekend, I hate to talk about what it could mean. It's that important. And you always say, well, the most important game is the next one. And all no, that's true, too. But we're not going to play a lot of inferior opponents the rest of the way. And again, to be fair to Mizzou, even when they have been outclassed with talent, they have still found a way to make these games competitive. So we got to go out there and play our best baseball of the year this weekend. And then we'll reassess come Monday and see where we are and what's left on the table for us. And those are the things that I think about. It's like, you know, there's a lot of moving parts to all of this. We can't wait for somebody else to lose to put us in a good situation. We've got to win ourselves into a better situation. I'm excited about it. All right. So this, you guys know too, I I will not be in Columbia, Missouri. And I, and I hate that. I really do. I hate missing, but just come to find out too. I actually had some car trouble this week too. And so uh, maybe it was just kind of meant to be. I will be in Vicksburg, Mississippi uh, from 1 to 3 tomorrow at Lorelei Books. So I'll, you know, I'll be kind of keeping up with the game there. But also, too, uh, we'll have an opportunity to, to kind of meet and greet there at Lorelei Books. I haven't been there in a couple of years. Looking forward to getting back. It's Lorelei Books in Vicksburg, Mississippi from 1 to 3. It's going to be a book signing. You can buy books there. I have all of my sports books there. If you can't make it to town, I'm encourage you to order at com. That's D-A-W-G-P-I-L-E, the book, dot com. And uh, all of my sports books are there. And uh, while you're there, you can pick up a copy of the uh, of turkey book, too. I didn't write it, but we're helping promote that book. And so if you're looking for Father's Day and you got turkey hunters in your life, uh, be sure and order those. But you can get signed and personalized copies of all my books there. If you're looking for Bloomsville Leander, you can order that through the great bookstores around uh, this country. Uh, you can find signed copies at Campus Book Mart and Book Martin Cafe, if you need peripheralization, you call down there in order over the phone. I'm happy to run down there and sign those for you. But if you just want a copy, you can find that at barnesandnoble.com, uh, and um, barnesandnoble.com, excuse me. So be sure and check those out. I've worked really hard on them, and um, you know, it, this has kind of become my life. You know, Like everybody always asks me, well, Steve, what's next? You know, I don't know. I'm kind of enjoying not thinking about that right now. Uh, I have had like some, um, some discussions with some people from my past and kind of work, maybe work this summer, some on the recovery book. But wouldn't it be great if Mississippi State gets hot again and we write another college baseball book? And uh, eventually I will write kind of the history of Mississippi State baseball. I'm fascinated by all that stuff. And so I'd like to, for all of us to be able to have like a written record of that, you know, like not just. Everything, you know, the, the the Thunder and Lightning years, but everything that kind of preceded that as well. And uh, I've talked to John Cohen about it, and he goes, do you know what you're taking on? And yes, I do. And uh, there are so many great names out there in Mississippi State baseball history that I don't know that get enough credit. And so I like to be able to kind of shine a light on them and kind of remind people that we have been good at baseball since we began a program way back in 1885. And I think it's important that we recognize that. We finally won an AFL championship, but uh, we're not an overnight sensation by any stretch of the imagination. We have been a great baseball program for a long time, and we finally got our just due by winning an AFL championship last year. So uh, every so often I get a message now about uh, Stark Villains gear. You go to StarkVillains.com, you get T-shirts, hoodies, everything, and uh, I get a report every month you guys are still buying shirts, some months more than others, but with Mother's Day and Father's Day coming up, you probably have a Boneyard listener in your family. And you're thinking, what do I get them this year besides just kind of the traditional stuff? I don't want to just buy dad socks. I don't just want to send mom flowers. Get them a Stark Villains shirt. Get them a Stark Villains hoodie. Rep the brand. Again, at StarkVillains.com. All right, we'll be back on Monday. We'll look to recap the draft. Hopefully we've got a couple more guys drafted, maybe three. Uh, And then uh, hopefully recapping a great weekend of Mississippi State baseball. So, Let's be positive. Let's hope for the best. and Let's go out there and get three at Columbia, Missouri. Until next time, let's all live our lives in a way we'll make more friends than enemies and people can see a difference in the way we live.